0: Sovereign in the mountain air Sovereign on the ocean floor the oh. Our God is for us The shadows deepen. We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through?
1: We do. Do you wish
2: would please remain standing for the reading of the inspired and infallible inerrant Word of God. I'll be reading this morning from 1 John chapter 1 verses 5 to 10. So if you take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 1. While you're doing that, in case you missed the cheer from the youth group here at Grace Church of Orange this week, um, I wanted to let you know that uh, Connor and Emma Haas welcomed a new baby into their family, and uh, her name is Isla Noel Haas, so we are um, super excited to have her and uh, looking forward to meeting her. But this morning we are in First John chapter 1 and reading from verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And you may be seated. This morning as we pray for our service, we want to remember the team that we have in Turkey right now, uh, members of the Clark family, the Martins, and the Lakatas. And so we will uh, remember them as we pray this morning. Lord, we come to you and recognize God, that you are the king over all, that you are the king of the universe, and yet we wander from you, we rebel against you, and that is nothing less than treason against the Most High King. And so, God, would you allow us to feel the weight of that rebellion, the weight of sin, and God, that we would know the gravity with which we are entangled in sin, and God, that we would have an awareness of of our lostness before You, except for the shed blood of Jesus. God, may we know that we were dead in our trespasses, but that You made us alive together with You in Christ, having forgiven our trespasses and canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands. You have set it all aside, nailing it to the cross. And God, as a result, You have caused us who put faith in Jesus to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. And You have granted to us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and that it is kept in heaven, guarded by the very power of God. And so, God, we rejoice. Even as we experience trials and tribulations of this life, we rejoice. And God, would you help us? to see through all that is happening in life and that we could see that joy that is inexpressible, that joy that is overflowing and overwhelming because Jesus reigns, because Jesus has paid the penalty for our sins, and we can stand before you blameless, knowing your glory and knowing joy of being right before you and having the hope of eternity with you. God, thank you for the team that's in Turkey right now, for the Clarks and the Martins and the Lakatas. Would you empower and strengthen and encourage them as they serve you there and that the light of the gospel would be bright and be proclaimed in the land of Turkey. And so we commit them to you. We commit this service to you and pray that the name of Jesus would be magnified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Father, we come before you this morning we hope and we pray that not only would these songs echo in our minds throughout this week God but with these truths truths that we've sung this morning would they seep deep down into our hearts and our souls deep into our minds that we might not forget that Christ alone is the sure and steady anchor of our souls would we not forget this truth this morning or tomorrow or this week, this year or for the rest of our days. We ask and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
3: It is no secret that Jesus freely forgives repentant sinners. John eight thirty six says, If the Son shall set you free, you will be free indeed. We think of the woman caught in adultery in John 8. We think of Jesus and the paralytic in Luke 5. We think of the parable of the two sons in Luke 15. We think of Jesus forgiving Peter. We think of the Apostle Paul. John Owen once said, poor souls are apt to think that all those whom they read or hear of to be gone to heaven went because they were so good and so holy, and yet not one of them, not anyone that is now in heaven, Jesus Christ alone accepted, did ever come any other way but by the forgiveness of sins. Jesus freely forgives repentant sinners. Why is that so important? Because surely there are some of you who need to know for the first time or once again that forgiveness is found in Jesus Christ alone and that he freely forgives repentant sinners. If you don't feel forgiven... How do you know if you're really forgiven? Even though you read Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, you may feel condemned by your sins today. If you're a Christian, you are forgiven. And you need your soul and your home saturated with the Word of God and especially the forgiveness and the freedom found in Christ. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 10, shows the, the nature and beauty of forgiveness in Christ. It explains the truth about forgiveness. It's based on Christ and his shed blood. And it comforts the heart of every true believer, every genuine believer. And it frees us to serve Christ. As the psalmist said in Psalm 32, blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven, whose sin the Lord will not take into account. John is writing to the church to give assurance, and he is writing as an old man, age should not hinder your service for Christ. And John was actively serving the churches. He was the last surviving eyewitness of Jesus in his earthly ministry, in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, in his ascension. Early church father Papias had direct contact with John and described John as a living and abiding voice. His testimony was respected in the churches. Church fathers like Justin Martyr and Irenaeus and Eusebius said that John, in his later years, lived at Ephesus. He was evangelizing, he was overseeing churches, he was writing his three epistles, his three letters, the Gospel of John, Revelation. He's writing from Ephesus. Ephesus was the place that predicted years before, in Acts 20, that false teachers would come in through the church and the ungodly would infect the body of Christ from the inside out. Ephesus was ridden with Gnosticism, uh, the supposed knowledge that only a few could have, and it was a a destructive heresy that that attacked and threatened the church in the first three centuries. It took away people's trust in Scripture. It was influenced by the likes of Plato, who said that matter was inherently evil and the spirit good. It was peddled by false teachers who denied Christ's humanity. They claimed that they had elevated secret knowledge that was higher than Scripture. Does it sound familiar? They had untethered ideas that were not anchored in Scripture, and man's ideas were being put over God's Word. It was a heresy born of lies that said that Jesus' physical body was not real, but these people peddling this heresy claimed to believe in Jesus. But they denied the true nature of Christ, his humanity. And they demonstrated a lack of salvation. They said that Christ's sacrifice wasn't necessary because sin wasn't real. They said that sin committed in your body did not affect your spirit. They said that immorality was okay. They said that sin did not exist. They disregarded the word of God. And John is reclaiming the faith. He's dealing with certainties, not opinions, and he's blowing up the false teaching, and he's giving a proper view of Christ, which is the first step of genuine salvation. He begins this letter in verse 1 and says, that which was from the beginning, from creation, the pre-existent deity and divine character of Christ, but also from the beginning of the preaching of the gospel, they saw this, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. They beheld in wondrous amazement the Son of God in the flesh. He says we've touched him with our hands. Every evidence was made available for them to perceive the truth. And it had lasting results. Here was John some 60 years later. The memories are etched on his mind as if it had just happened. He says, this is concerning the word of life, the living word. The word became flesh, the life-giving word. This is concerning Jesus Christ. Pagans in that day couldn't believe. It was inconceivable to them that the word of God would become man." Gospel preaching centers on Christ's person and work and words. The gospel is a stable message. It doesn't change with worldly fads. And Jesus, truly God, truly human, physically real, suffered and died on the cross as the substitutionary sacrifice for sin. And he starts with this, verse 1. It goes on in verse 2. The life was made manifest. He's talking about the revelation of Jesus Christ at his first coming, the incarnation. The life was made manifest. We've seen it, and we testify. Literally, we keep on saying. We keep on witnessing. We keep on preaching this to you. We are proclaiming to you eternal life, the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. We are preaching Christ to you. Equally as stunning should be to us that Jesus would take our sin upon himself, gentle, humble, sympathizing with our weaknesses. Eternal life. He says in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. Literally, we keep on preaching it to you. We report it to you. We declare it to you. We declare what we got from God. An authoritative commission, the message rested on this eyewitness. And he says, we've seen it, we've heard it, we're proclaiming it to you so that you would have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. It was clear beyond any doubt that John bore witness, and the witness he bore was revealed to him by God, not by man. And it was revealed to him by God in the historical person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says we have fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship, if you have fellowship with fellow Christians, it's when you set aside your personal interests, you set aside your selfish ideas and and desires, and you link up with others for common purposes. Fellowship with God is not social connection, just like fellowship with fellow Christians is is seen in the social realm but it is not social it is spiritual and fellowship here with god is not social connection they are partakers they are partners in possessing eternal life fellowship here fellowship with god is having eternal life so dear christian if you are a christian you are never out of fellowship with god you always have eternal life if you are in christ And he says in verse 4, we write this to you. We write so your joy would be full. Joy is the goal. Joy is the the angle. Uh, Joy, gospel joy. The gospel preaching produces a fellowship in eternal life. and, And eternal life produces joy. And he's writing these things to counter the false teachers who denied the existence and importance of sin and, and John says, no, sin is real, and, they need, and your sins need to be forgiven, and, they, and, and your sins need to be cleansed, and that's a test of true faith. And it brings us up to verse 5, and we're going to go through verses 5 through 10, and we see one point in verse 5, and then the next point runs through the rest of the verses. There's two points here. First point is God is holy and perfect and wants fellowship with his own. Literally, a saving relationship with his own. This is what he says in verse 5. This is the message we heard from him and proclaimed to you. This is the message about God which men could not have come to without God's help. This is a revelation, not a discovery. That God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. In scripture, light refers to Biblical truth refers to God's holiness, refers to purity, while darkness refers to falsehood and error and sin. And, and he says, we bring these glad tidings to you. And he's saying, you are the recipients, and, and you are crucial to receiving this. It's just like you listening right now. This is crucial for you to know. This is crucial to your spiritual life. You need to know this today. The message proclaimed came from God and not from men, and God is perfect truth and holiness. The Bible tells us he dwells in unapproachable light, extreme, utter holiness. Apart from him, we dwell in darkness. We we dwell in abject holiness apart from Christ, uh, abject hopelessness apart from Christ, but abject holiness in Christ. Isaiah said the people walking in darkness, sitting in darkness, saw a great light. John says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. But men loved the darkness rather than the light. They killed the light. God is light. He is all glorious perfection. There is no hint or stain of anything wrong with him. He is perfectly pure. We can't keep our shirts clean. We can't keep the seats clean. We can't keep the carpet clean. We can't keep our souls clean. We have trouble keeping things clean. God is all glorious perfection, no hint or stain of anything wrong, perfectly pure. And before time began, he chose to love everyone he would draw to himself to come to him by grace through faith. He is holy. He is perfect. He wants fellowship, a saving relationship with his people. And then verses 6 to 10 tell us the second point. If you have fellowship or a saving relationship with the holy, perfect God in Christ, you will confess your sinfulness and your sin. If you have fellowship, a saving relationship with the holy God, the perfect God, you will confess your sinfulness and your sin. And it will be like night and day. In fact, as you go through these next verses, if you go through this, five conditional clauses follow. If this should happen, and verses 6 and 8 and 10 go together... And verses 7 and 9 go together. And verses 6 and 8 and 10 contain three statements of false living and false belief. It's what fakers do. It's the wrong way to live. And verses 7 and 9 present uh, the continual Christian life. What real believers do, what genuine believers do. Here is the right way to live. And he's saying, like, supposing we live like this. Confessing our sins because of Christ's forgiveness or denying our sins in error. In verse 6, he begins this way. He says, if we say, if we should say, we have fellowship with him, we have salvation while we walk or live or conduct our lives in the ethical realm in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. So someone claiming to know the truth but denying they sin is false. If you deny the reality of your sin, you lack real salvation. Again, we in verses 6, 8, and 10 refer to anyone claiming to be a believer but denying sin. And then we in verses 7 and 9 refers to real Christians. Because you cannot have a relationship with the holy God and live happy in sin. It's not possible. It cannot coexist. You cannot traffic in diametrically opposed light and dark, good and evil. You cannot call yourself a Christian and do so. Verse 6 is telling us, living in falsehood demonstrates a lack of salvation. The lie is claiming to have fellowship with God, to have salvation. But he says, you don't know the truth. Verse 7, though, he says, but if, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, walking in the light is this conscious, sustained life lived in conformity with the will of God, with the revelation of who God is, finally and completely seen in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying there's a necessity here for fellowship with God, salvation. He says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Proof? Proof, a visible sign of of, uh, of fellowship between Christians, a visible sign of fellowship with God. And then he says this, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Cleanses us. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What, What you need to do, then, if you're a believer, is allow God to expose your sin and wash you clean and lead you and guide you and protect you and provide for you. He cleanses us. He does more than forgive. He erases the stain of sin. We can't keep our clothes clean. No way could we keep our soul clean. And God erases the stain of sin. And it's a continuous process. In the present tense, he continually does this. Praise God the blood of Jesus cleanses the believer. Praise God that that you're assured of cleansing because Jesus continually forgives his chosen Wow. But in verse 8, it says, but if, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Just like verse 6, verse 8 says, the false walk in darkness, in sin, and deny the existence of sin in their lives. I don't have anything to confess. And if someone never admits to being a sinner, salvation is not present. You think of Matthew 19 and the young man who couldn't get there. We're deceptive regarding sinlessness. Like some people will go there. When Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, there's not a just person on earth who does good and does not sin. And then verse 9. And if you're familiar with the Bible, you all have verse 9 memorized. I don't personally like calling it the Christian's bar of soap. I've called it that before. I think it cheapens the idea. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's known as, in some circles, the Christian's bar of soap. But that's kind of like, hey, I'm going to be out in the yard working, and I'm going to get myself dirty, but I know I'll take a shower later. I know I'm going to, you know, my grandpa used to use this uh, soap called Lava, and it was just like it would get all the stuff off your hands when you'd been working in the shop. And it's like, oh, I'll just do that. I know I'm going to do this, and I'll just get cleaned up later. No, that's not how you use this verse. Oh, I know I'm going to sin, but I'm just going to confess it later. No, it's saying this is not what a Christian does. Confess is literally you say the same thing that God says about your sin, about your sin. You agree with God. You admit it. You concede can, you can the point. You fess up. And what happens? What happens? God is faithful. He's righteous. God is just. The punishment for your sin went on Christ. And so he will forgive you. He, he releases you. It's how God expresses his Faithfulness and justice he he fully forgives, but if there's no confession to God, if there's absolutely no admittance that you 've sinned you 're not getting forgiven in fact, if you say i'm a believer and I have no sin to confess you 're not getting more sanctified you're getting cauterized in your soul you're not getting you're not growing as a Christian, you are getting hardened in your heart you, you're not you're not making progress in Christ, you're getting calluses on your heart. Verse 9 is telling us, ongoing confession of sin is an indicator of salvation. The false would not admit their sin. The true admit it and turn from it. Under the Spirit's conviction, you confess your sins. When was the last time you confessed your sins to God? When was the last time you confessed your sins to someone else? When was the last time you apologized to anyone? Psalm 32 the psalmist says, I acknowledged my sin to you, God, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You forgave me. Confess. I said the same thing about my sin that you do, God. I acknowledged your word about my sin. And the way to know if you're a genuine Christian is if you confess your sins. And the assurance is that God continually cleanses those who confess their sins. Now, what if you say, oh, boy, I don't know all the sins I should confess. This is not about confessing every single sin that, that you can, uh, you know, dream up, okay? Uh, not confessing every sin, but acknowledging you are a sinner in need of cleansing and forgiveness and then confessing every sin you know about. The most tenderhearted will say, well, I'm afraid I, I might miss a sin, What if I miss a sin to confess at the moment that Christ returns? Oh, no! You need to understand the reality and the finality of Christ's forgiveness purchased at the cross and notice that confession proves regeneration. Puritan William Greenhill said this, A person pardoned and justified by faith in Christ, though he may and sometimes does fall into foul sins, yet they never prevail so far as to reverse pardon and reduce to a state of non-justification. True believers sin, and true believers confess their sins. Jesus instructed us to pray that way. Forgive us of our sins, and pray that over and over again. Because true believers, according to the word of God, are saved and being saved and will be saved. True believers are saved, being saved, and will be saved. So if, if you miss one sin, it doesn't mean you're not saved. Your concerned indicates salvation and it should give you assurance. God forgives repentant sinners in Christ. And, and I think it's important to explain forgiveness from the standpoints of justification and sanctification and glorification. Jesus forgives repentant sinners in justification, initially coming to faith in Christ, conversion, continues to forgive repentant sinners in sanctification, and will fully save repentant sinners in glorification. That he has freed the believer from sin's penalty in justification. That he continues to Free us from sin's power in sanctification and will one day free us fully and totally from sin's presence in glorification. That he has freed us and he continues to free us and will one day fully free us. And confession and repentance breeds assurance of forgiveness and salvation. You can call it judicial forgiveness and familial forgiveness forgiveness and eternal forgiveness judicial forgiveness in justification ongoing familiar forgiveness in sanctification and eternal forgiveness in glorification it's a way to explain god's forgiveness just initial justifying forgiveness ongoing sanctifying forgiveness and eternal forgiveness and and what happens your initial forgiveness gives you the joy of salvation Ongoing forgiveness restores the joy of salvation, and and eternal forgiveness is the joy of your salvation. And it is experienced by the repentant, confessing sinner. It is not experienced by the person that says, I don't have anything to confess. I'm not a sinner. They're denying the word of God. They're repudiating God. It's interesting in in Exodus 34, when, when God proclaimed himself, here's what he said. Exodus 34, 6. The Lord said, Here's what the Lord proclaimed The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And most people stop reading right there. It's like, that's what I want to hear. Look what comes next forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation because a payment for sin was promised in the garden and would be made at the cross in Christ. That's why the psalmist could say in Psalm 103, as high as the heavens are above the earth, you can't fly that high. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, So far has he removed our transgressions from us. He cleanses the believer from all unrighteousness and sin. And boy, do we need that. We need that more than we know. In those days in ancient Corinth, people engaged in gross sexual perversion and wickedness The guilt ran deep in that sin-laden city, in that sin-infected city, like it does in our cities today, like it does in our hearts today. In that day, there was no depth to the limits to which they would plunge in a moral filthiness, just like today. But when you enter the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God cleanses the stained soul. No matter your sin, the power of the Holy Spirit to cleanse you is greater To wash away all your guilt. No sin is so great that God's grace cannot scrub it clean. We can't get the stain out. The stain is removed in Christ. In Titus 3, it says he saved us, saved believers, not on the basis of deeds that we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. How? By the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. The inward cleansing of your soul in the new birth. that The spirit regenerates you. The spirit washes you. Washes your conscience. Your conscience is this God-given warning device. It's like like an alarm. And it bears witness to your soul's condition. And when you sin, your conscience accuses you. And the new birth cleanses you. And ongoing confession cleanses you. The writer of Hebrews could say it this way, let us draw near in full assurance of faith with a sincere heart, having a heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. That you would not live with condemnation for a guilt-laden conscience, but you've been made pure in Christ. That's the hope of the believer. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It means that you are still confessing your sins and you know you need Jesus every moment. one reason why it is so important for a believer to be baptized. To proclaim to the world what happened in your soul. That Christ freely forgives repentant sinners. He he washed away your sins. And no amount of water can wash away your your sins. No amount of water can can wash away the stain on your soul. Some of you might think, I'm just going to get in the bathtub. I'm going to scrub myself a lot and it's going to it's going to take away my sin. You can't do it. Some of you're like, "Oh, I'll just get into the tub of the washing machine." That's not going to do it either. Tide won't help won't help. Washing away your sins. No amount of water can wash away the stain on your soul. Only the inner working of the spirit of God cleanses your soul. We're washed in the Spirit of God. In 1 Corinthians 6, there's a whole litany of sins that are, are rehearsed. A lot of the kind of sins that many of us would traffic in. And, and then Paul says, such were some of you. You were identified like this. This was your identity. And such were some of you, but you were washed. He's talking to believers. You were washed. You're no longer that other identity. You're a new creation in Christ. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Believe that, believer. Believe that today. Believe your identity. Don't traffic in lies. Spiritual cleansing by the Holy Spirit is a gift from God, and it happens at the moment of regeneration, and the haunting guilt of your sin is purged from your convicted conscience, and if you've never experienced it, you're not saved. Jesus washes and cleanses the church for which he died. He uses the word to convict and regenerate your soul. The condemnation you were under washed away. No longer enslaved to guilt and shame because of your sin, but free to obey God from the heart. That is symbolized in water baptism. Your guilty conscience cleansed in Christ, by Christ, Appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, And by the way, water baptism symbolically pictures the cleansing of the guilty conscience, the cleansing of your heart that can only be done by Christ through his shed blood. Jesus put it this way. Truly I say to you, John 3, 5, unless you are born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus needed to hear that. He did. Nicodemus needed cleansing from his polluting sin. So do we. He needed the stain of sin removed from his heart. And he's being told the new birth is how God will cleanse you. That the Spirit will apply the blood of Christ to remove your sin. Saul of Tarsus needed to hear that. He was in need of cleansing. He was a persecutor of the church. He was a persecutor of Christ and his church. And in a moment, he was born again. He didn't decide. He didn't choose. God chose him. It was a sudden work of God. He was regenerated. He immediately had new life. Immediately. A a split-second change of allegiance. He became a follower of Christ. And instead of being his chief enemy, he became his chief proclaimer. And he thought of himself as the chief of sinners. That's the proof of being born again by the Spirit of God, always in need of Christ, no longer filled with pride, humbly confessing Christ and your sin. This is how you know if you're a Christian or not. You experience new birth from God, and you're set free, and you can now confess your sins and and even forgive others. God's forgiveness of repentant sinners is free free, because it was paid by Christ at the cross. He is is faithful. He is gracious. It is unearned. It is unconditional. He is just. The justice went on Christ at the cross. It is complete. It is comprehensive from all unrighteousness, all unrighteousness, nothing left. It is cleansing. It is eternal. It is freeing. It is restorative. It reconciles you. God knows your every sin. Just confess every sin that you're aware of. We can't keep ourselves clean. We clean up partially. You know, sometimes people will say to you, hey, you clean up really nicely. They mean you look good today, better than you did yesterday, is what they mean. We we clean up partially. There's something right there, by the way. You got something right there. The other side. Yeah, right? We clean up partially. The other day, I... I, uh, I looked in the refrigerator and there were two tacos from the night before when our home group went to tacos and they were just too spicy for for Angela. She's like, ah, ah, too hot, too hot. Put them in the refrigerator and the next day I'm like, lunch. And so I I took the plate and I'm holding the plate and I'm looking at these beautiful tacos. And I'm walking to the microwave. Don't get mad at me. The microwave heats things up. And I'm walking to the microwave and I didn't hold, hold it the right way and it went splat, face first on the ground. And those were juicy tacos. There was a lot of juice. It was all over the cabinet. It was all over the floor. I'm going, oh, no, I don't want Angela to see this. I don't want the girls to come and see me. Oh, no, i got to clean this up first. I did not clean it up very well. It was under the stove. It was all over the cabinet. I, we can't clean up. But God cleanses the soul of the repentant sinner fully. But verse 10 says, "But but if... But if we say, it's like he's coming back. And so it's like, you know how insistent we are about our innocence? He said, but if we say, verse 10, we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. It's just like verses 6 and 8, but it's worse. You make God a liar. Since God said all people are sinners and you're saying you don't sin and you have nothing to confess, you're denying God. You're going against him. You're repudiating him. And it's like the Spirit of God is saying, don't you dare call God a liar. Do you notice the emphasis on if we say? If we go independent and we go self-willed and we insist upon our own way, which, by the way, the way that ends in death, Even when God proclaims our guilt and we reject the truth, we don't glorify God, we repudiate him. God forbid that we would reject his lordship and authority. The believer is saved by Christ, being saved by Christ, will be saved by Christ. Justified, being sanctified, will be glorified. But the legal standing of being forgiven doesn't, Make you live proudly without confessing sin. It makes you do what God says. Jesus said, Confess your sins to Him and to each other. Enjoy an ongoing life of repentance. Live in the glory of God. John goes on, by the way, into the next chapter and touch on it briefly here, but. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That doesn't mean you're, not, you're, you're never going to sin again. That doesn't mean that you're never going to uh, fall down f- flat on your face and sin and need to confess. What it means is you're not powerless. You're not powerless. You've got the Holy Spirit. But confession of sin does not give you permission to sin. You overcome sin by the Spirit of God, by the power of the Spirit of God, because as Verse 1 tells us we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's like your defense attorney, and he's going to bat for you. And Satan is accusing you night and day before the Father, and Christ, our high priest, gives freedom from sin. The propitiation, the appeasement of the wrath of God, the satisfaction. Christ's sacrifice at the cross satisfied God's holiness for the punishment of sin. Believe it. And you cannot have a relationship with the holy, righteous God and coexist happy with sin. You can't call yourself a Christian and consistently walk in darkness and not confess your sins. You must walk in the light. You must allow Christ to expose your sin and wash you clean and lead you in his ways. And I mean, how often do you confess your sins to God? How often do you confess your sins to others? How is the word of God helping you see and hate and forsake your sin. Has it been a long time since you've confessed any sin to God? Has it been a long time since you've ever admitted to someone else that you sin and that you have hurt them? I realize some people overdo it. They're always apologizing. You're like, you're good. But most underdo it. Most don't confess their sins to God or to other believers when appropriate. Those of you with really tender hearts right now who might be feeling condemned. John Bunyan said this, "No child of God sins to that degree as to make himself incapable of forgiveness." Ephesians 1:12, "In Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sin. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. You, believer, were dead in your trespasses. God made you alive together with Christ, having forgiven you all of your trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against you with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Amazing grace! Amazing grace that God would show his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That if you have freedom from condemning guilt, it isn't achieved by anything you did, but by Jesus dying in your place. That salvation is given as a free gift that you receive by faith. And all who get this free gift are freed from the death sentence of sin and receive the right to become children of God. Put your faith in Christ's blood, not your presumed innocence. Live in fellowship with God. Salvation in Christ. Christ's blood cleanses us. But if you go self-willed, and if you say, I have not sinned, and I have nothing to confess, you are foolish, you are faithless, you are heartless, you are ruthless with God. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. There is a beauty in repentance. The Spirit humbles your heart. And, and you, 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 you say, I agree with you, God. I, I want to repent. I, I want assurance, I'm on the right track. I want to have a tender heart. That's a sign that the Spirit of God is at work in you. God who is faithful and just. He does what he says he will do based on the shed blood of Christ. He forgives and he cleanses you. And you become grateful, humble, and you confess sin as a repentant sinner, saved in justification from the penalty of sin, being progressively saved in sanctification from the power of sin. And one day you will be fully saved from, from the presence of sin in glorification because Jesus freely forgives repentant sinners. He is holy, and he wants a saving relationship with his people. And if you have that saving relationship with Jesus, you will confess your sinfulness and your sin. Why is this so important? Because some of you are feeling very convicted and and condemned by your sins. And you, you think there's something else you need to do, but confess your sins and turn from them. And some of you are saying, I don't have anything. I'm good without God. Ask yourself two quick questions. Number one, what do I know? What do I know? There are surely some of you here today who need to know for the first time or once again that forgiveness is found in Jesus Christ and that he freely forgives repentant sinners. How do you know if you're forgiven? Fact over feelings, friends fact over feelings, God chooses to relate to you no longer on the basis of your sins when you are in Christ. What do you know? Secondly, what do you show? What are you telling people? What are you showing people with your life? What do you do? Those freely forgiven by Jesus freely forgive others. Sometimes you're feeling unforgiven. Maybe it's because you're not forgiving. There's this ugly nature of withholding forgiveness. There's this beautiful blessing of extending it. There are signs of an unforgiving heart. You complain, you grumble, you refuse to learn, you, you nurse old wounds, you have an attitude that says, it's gonna be my way, and you misunderstand the gospel. One way that you know if you're forgiven is that you don't let someone's sin color your thinking or interaction with them. We'll get into it more next week when we talk about Uh, assurance of salvation but if you are awestruck at the forgiveness you have in Christ you won't feel entitled you'll know you don't deserve it forgiven people are the best forgivers there was a man who suffered horrible abuse at the hands of his alcoholic father and before this man died he wrote a song I forgive it all. I forgive it all. It's what he wrote. It's what he sang. It's what he resolved. It's what he decided. He said, I'm going I'm to love and I'm going to forgive it all. Amy Carmichael, missionary to India, said, if I, if I say yes, I forgive, but I, I cannot forget as though God, who twice a day washes all the sands on all the shores of all the world, could not wash such memories from my mind, then I know nothing of Calvary love. She said, if I cast up a confessed, repented, and forsaken sin against another and allow my remembrance of that sin to color my thinking and feed my suspicions, then I know nothing of Calvary love. Thomas Watson said, we need not climb up into heaven to see whether our sins are forgiven. Let us look into our hearts and see if we can forgive others. And if we can, we need not doubt, but God has forgiven us. Do not doubt if you struggle with forgiveness. We all struggle with forgiveness. Doubt if you cannot forgive. Doubt if you say, I will never forgive. Doubt if there's nothing in your heart that will allow it. Refusing to forgive others proves you are not forgiven. Thomas Adams said, he that demands mercy and shows none ruins the bridge over which he must himself pass. He said, a man may as well go to hell for not forgiving as for not believing. Jesus at the cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. There are consequences for failing to forgive. It might be a lack of assurance. It might be hell. More next time on the basis and hope of assurance. But just for now, and I want you to take this with you, just for now, relish forgiveness in Christ. Forgiveness in Christ has no equal. Its nemesis is a lifelong grudge. Forgiveness is a cool breeze on a sweltering day. Forgiveness opens the jail cell door. Forgiveness gives you wings like you can fly. Forgiveness calms your fears. Forgiveness gives you a new lease on life. Frees you serve and to love and to forgive without fear because if the sun shall set you free you will be free indeed thank you Jesus thank you Lord Jesus who frees us from the penalty of sin who is freeing us from the power of sin and who one day that blessed day will one day free us forever from the presence of sin we thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you have done. We worship you. Amen.
0: Amen. Would you stand if you're able and join us? we close? save whom you will say we're the lost and helpless ones the rebels and the renegades who spurn your holy love you will save whom you will say mercy will be magnified everyone has gone astray and followed after lies You have loved us and opened our eyes It's your grace from beginning to the end It's your grace we will never comprehend Why you drew the ones who ran from you What can we do but offer you praise? save whom you will save. We were captive to our wills. If our hearts had not been changed, we'd a mercy still. You will save whom you will save. Who can question what you do? You're the potter, we're the clay. Make us as you choose And there is no one who posts before you It's your grace From beginning to the end It's your grace We will never comprehend Why you drew the ones who ran from you What can we do but offer you praise? You will save whom you will save Yet the promised hope remains You will rescue anyone Calls upon your name You will save whom you will save Faithful love won't be denied Christ has overcome the grave For our sins he died but When he comes back His glory will shine It's your grace From beginning to It's your grace We will never comprehend Why you drew the ones who ran from you What can we do but offer you praise From beginning to the end It's your grace We will never comprehend Why you drew the ones who ran from you? What can we do but offer you praise?
3: Next Sunday, we are breaking out the horse trough for a baptism after third hour, third service. And if you are a believer that needs to be baptized, please let us know ASAP. And um, we're gonna close with Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Hope to see you all tonight at uh, Grace Bible Institute, 5 p.m. on missions. And um, I know that as Thomas Watson said, Christ went more willingly to the cross than we do to the throne of grace. Run to Christ, run to Christ for forgiveness to the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Lord, that is our heart's desire. Be glorified in us and through us as we live in your presence. In Christ's name. Sovereign
0: in the mountain air Sovereign on the ocean floor